in response to the preaching, let us sing from Psalm number 266. All the stanzas of 266. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jesus faced his greatest trials, he was determined to go through it, whatever the cost, whatever the cost. And there would indeed be tremendous costs involved for both the kingdom of God, but also for the kingdom of Satan as well. The words that the Lord Jesus speaks here in our text spell some dark forebodings for the kingdom of Satan. We know this, don't we? But it also gives us great encouragement, all who are part and citizen of the kingdom of heaven. With our text, we are at the late hours of the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested and he was put on trial. And, of course, the end result was crucifixion. And it all went as it was determined. And that's an important word that we find here in our text. As it was determined. And I hope to dwell on that a bit more. And so, this is then the message for this hour. Jesus declared what was determined. We see in the first place, deceitfulness on Satan's part. Secondly, disaster pending on Judas's part. And then thirdly, determination on Jesus' part. On congregation, Satan was hard at work to get Jesus arrested, put on trial, and have him put out of the way. Demonic forces were hard at work. They were on high alert, you could say, during this time that Jesus was on earth, particularly in his humanity. And this is what the demonic forces were really after, the humanity of Jesus Christ, that is, his human being. Satan was bent on destroying the humanity of Christ, namely this Son of Man aspect of Jesus Christ. Satan knew that Jesus was determined to give himself as the sacrifice for sin. And this is precisely what Satan wanted to prevent. You may be surprised to hear this. Satan wants to prevent Jesus dying on a cross? Yes. Don't ever think, congregation, that Satan really wanted Jesus on the cross as a sacrifice of sin. To the contrary, even. To the contrary. There is proof enough in the Bible, you see, to show that Satan, on several occasions even, has tried to prevent such a sacrifice from happening. But what Satan was bent on doing was destroying the humanity of Christ before it could, as it were, pair up with his divine nature to perform that supreme human divine sacrifice for sin. Satan wanted to prevent this, you see. In other words, Satan wanted a premature death for Jesus. He wanted an obscure death for Jesus. He wanted Jesus secretly out of the way. No fuss, no spectacle, no cross, just plain and simple, a secret death. No one will know. 
Satan wanted a low riddance of the Son of Man, Jesus. And so we read then in verse 3 of our text chapter that Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Satan saw here an opportunity with Judas Iscariot. And you know what that was? Well, it has to do with Judas' secret love for money. Satan actually took control of Judas' sinful secret inclination. And before long, Judas was at the council of the chief priest and the Sanhedrin and the captains for a sum of money they agreed then that Judas would deliver Jesus into their hands under cover. And again, I underlined this, under cover. Yes, under cover, because notice what it says in verse 6, for instance, in the absence of the multitude. Now, Satan was able to deceive Judas into thinking that it was therefore possible to arrest Jesus secretly and to put Jesus out of commission secretly and to get paid for that as yet. Now, dear people, I do not want to stray too far from the text, but I do want to warn you for the deceiving aspect of Satan, what a deceiver Satan is. He and his demons, they prey on the sinful weaknesses of mankind. Yes, also church people as well. A sinful weakness of one sort or the other. And I do not have to give you a list of the various sins that we may secretly hold to as yet. Satan has his hordes detect such weaknesses in us and such vulnerabilities in us as well, and you and I, we therefore need to watch out. Be careful. Because they, that is Satan and his demons, they will take their opportunities, they will use such sinful weaknesses in us, capitalize on it, take control of it, and before you know it, they will have deceived you to fall for it. And therefore, watch out for any weakness towards one sin or another in you or in me. Check yourself, and I need to check myself as well, for any secret sins. Better yet, let us ask God with the words of Psalm 19 and verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults or secret sins. Now, this will at the same time be a strong incentive to seek help and to seek protection for it with Jesus the Savior. Because without Him and without His protection, dear people, you and I will be vulnerable. You and I will be like an open invitation to Satan to orchestrate a fall into sin that you will have great difficulties recovering from. Satan, again, is a terrible deceiver. He will try to turn you against Jesus Christ if he can. He will do what he can to see that you will fall into sin, while in the meantime, you may even feel good about it, or while you feel good yourself, about yourself, rather. He will have you sinning while even making money doing it. 
And again, Satan is a terrible deceiver, dear people. Watch out for him. Watch out for him. Watch out for his smooth ways and for his sweet talk because he has nothing good in store for you or for me. Now, this certainly was the case with Judas. Satan saw in Judas a possibility to get Jesus out of the way quickly, fast, and secretly. He saw in Judas a possibility to have Jesus dead before morning, before any sacrifice could be attempted by Jesus Christ. Satan saw in Judas a possibility to short-circuit Jesus Christ's predetermined sin-bearing sacrifice on the cross. But thank God, congregation, thank God, that Satan's scheme did not work. After all, Satan is not in control. God is. God is in control. We know this. And no matter what Satan tried, no matter how much willing assistance Satan had from Judas, it did not go Satan's way. It went God's way as it was determined. Jesus, the Son of Man, by determination, went the full route to the cross. He made his sin-bearing and sin-atoning sacrifice. He accomplished this sacrifice as well. And with it, he upended, therefore, Satan's scheme and fully and perfectly earned salvation for all of his people, believers. Now, dear people, remember this. The deceitfulness of Satan is indeed a terrible threat for any who are outside of Christ. Any who have no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are already the slaves of Satan. But Satan is no threat to Jesus Christ. And neither is Satan a threat for those who place their full trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ will overcome and has overcome Satan. But now, and this is as it were an insert that I must speak of briefly, it is made clear in how Judas Iscariot ends up. And we must see this in the second place, disaster pending on Judas's part. Now it seems that Jesus does not want us to forget what role Judas played in all of this and what consequences there were for Judas as well. When Jesus says here in our text, truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. In other words, what Jesus said here is, woe to Judas. And congregation, when, when Jesus Christ speaks the words of woe, it makes the blood run cold, so to speak, when Jesus says, Woe! Nothing worse can be imagined than Jesus Christ speaking that word, Woe! upon a person. It implies disaster pending, utter and final condemnation, eternal spiritual death, separation from God, with no hope whatsoever for any kind of recovery. Well, we know what happened to Judas. When he realized what he had done, 
He was filled with remorse, so we are told. And yes, unbelievers can be remorseful. But if such a remorse does not turn into true repentance, it is disaster pending. And we see this in Judas. He was remorseful, horribly so, in fact. But there was no true godly repentance with him. There was no turning to God with his sin to be forgiven of it. Judas, as a slave of Satan, alienated from Jesus Christ, despaired of life, and committed suicide. Judas, as a slave of Satan, alienated from Jesus Christ, had no hope whatsoever anymore, and therefore he killed himself. You can read of this whole tragic aftermath in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. What Judas did that night, dear people, in betraying Jesus, left disaster pending for Judas. Now, congregation, this tells us that God held Judas responsible for what he did. Oh, yes, yes, Satan did take advantage of Judas, and he entered into his, sick, his, his, weak, his sinful weakness, rather, and he capitalized on his secret sin. But God would never permit Judas to say, well, the devil made me do this. No, Judas committed the sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ therefore said, woe to this man. God held Judas responsible for his unrepentance. God held Judas responsible for not turning with his sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, dear people, let that be a lesson for each one of us as well. Especially for any who are still without faith in Jesus Christ. Satan will so quickly take advantage of you. And that is not the way to go, is it? Well, now, let's speak of something a little bit more positive from here on in. Something more encouraging. And let us therefore come to our third, uh, our third point, rather, and consider determination on Jesus' part. Now, congregation, earlier on in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus received some heavenly encouragement on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah came to speak to him about his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This referring, of course, to the saving work that Jesus would accomplish at Jerusalem. His sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection, it is all wrapped up in this one term, decease, as you can read of in Luke chapter 9 and verse 31. Now, this what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration greatly encouraged Jesus. He could face, therefore, the upcoming work with a large measure, not only of willingness, but also of a large measure of determination. 
You can read, for instance, a little later on, that in that same chapter, verse 44, that he told his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed, to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now, why did he say this, you might ask? Why did he say this? Well, he was busy mentally and spiritually not only preparing himself for the task at hand, but also preparing his disciples of what they must see happening. The disciples, however, did not want to hear of it at that particular time, but they could tell on their master, Jesus Christ, that he was determined to go to Jerusalem no matter what. And this becomes evident in a few verses on, in verse 51, when we read that the Lord Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And it could not be missed. Everyone saw it on him. Even the ordinary people milling around and about him and the disciples. They saw that there was a a definite determination about Jesus Christ to go on to Jerusalem in order to do this specific task. Now, Matthew Henry has some uh, helpful comments about this, and I want to quote him for a moment. This is Matthew Henry's words. He was fully determined to go and would not be dissuaded. He went directly to Jerusalem because there now his business lay. He went cheerfully and courageously there, though he knew the things that should befall him there. And then Matthew Henry goes on uh, with, with a pointed application. And he says about the Lord Jesus being determined to go to Jerusalem... How should this shame, how should this shame us for and shame us out of our backwardness to do and suffer for Christ? We draw back, we turn our faces another way from his service, who him who so steadfastly set his face against all opposition to go through with the work of salvation. He was determined. How determined are we to speak on behalf and for Christ? Anyway, uh, these are the words of Matthew Henry. Congregation, therefore, Jesus was determined to go through with the task of sacrificing himself, even though his own disciples at that particular time did not want to accept it yet or believe it, and in reality were actually opposed to it at that point. But he, Jesus Christ, was determined. And this became even clear, more clear as we read, for instance, in Luke 18, verse 31 to 33, where he took his 12 disciples aside and he said to them, and I quote, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles... He will be mocked and insulted. He will be spit upon, and they will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Now, you see, Jesus knew full well what would happen to him at Jerusalem. Right down to the cruel, gory details that he would be mocked, abused, spat upon, scourged, and finally be put to death. He was fully aware that this is what would happen to him. But he was determined to go there. Determined. 
Now, why was Jesus so determined to go there, you might ask? Why did he want to go to Jerusalem, knowing that he would face all of that abuse? Well, the answer to that question is found in our text, verse 22, where he says to his disciples, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. You see, congregation, there was determination on his part, and that in two ways. One, he was determined to go to Jerusalem and to endure the upcoming cruelties. Two, he was determined because it was the planned time for him to endure the upcoming cruelties. That is, it was God's plan. It was according to God's will that his son should endure the upcoming cruelties. The Apostle Peter explains this so beautifully and so clearly in in his Pentecost address, speaking there of the Lord Jesus. He says to the crowd at Jerusalem at that time, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Why was Jesus determined to go up to Jerusalem and suffer and die there? Because God the Father, you see, had decided that He, His Son, should do so. It was God that made that plan together with the Son and with the Holy Spirit that this is how it should go. And Jesus Christ, the Son, being obedient, was therefore determined to go because, yes, He wanted to be obedient and do His Father's will. Now this makes salvation of our sins such a great thing, dear people. Because it is what God willed, it is what God determined, it is what God planned, and this is what was scheduled as well. And so, my fellow believers, you know, you and I, we did not get born again because we wanted this so badly. No, because God the Father wanted it. And therefore, all the credit goes to Him. All the credit goes to Him. And if God the Father was so determined and has determined your and my salvation, He has then also the right how you and I should be saved if He decided that you and I should be saved through repenting of our sin, confessing our sin, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, so be it. So be it. And we need to be obedient to such a call of the gospel. We are therefore advised to follow the route that God has spelled out in his word. And we ought not to quibble about this either. We ought therefore to follow the Savior's example in him being obedient to his Father and to do what God the Father has said. Now this is what the Bible calls in Romans 16 verse 26, the obedience of faith. Yes, there is the obedience of faith. And not only has God determined the salvation of his people, but he has also determined the way, therefore, in which such a salvation would come to them, the way, 
namely that his son, Jesus Christ, should sacrifice himself for the sins of people like you and me. And again, this is what makes Jesus Christ such a great and marvelous Savior, dear people. He was obedient to what his father had determined, and he was willing and ready to face the sacrifice. Therefore, therefore he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And therefore, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And therefore, why he also told his disciples about it as well. And so Jesus is a great Savior, dear people. Because he was determined. He was submissive. He was, a, he was ready to give the sacrifice that was needed. And that is what has made him such a great Savior. He was determined to go to Jerusalem because he deeply loved his father whom he wanted to obey. And he deeply at the same time loved his people whom he wanted to save. And so my fellow believers, as you consider the suffering of Jesus Christ, particularly during these weeks of passion that we're in now, look at him. Look at him going to Jerusalem. And in our text, look at him as he is in Jerusalem. He knew perfectly well what was ahead of him. He was not surprised by anything that man, or Satan for that matter, would do to him. Jesus was not ambushed. He was not captured against his will. And in the end, he was not crucified as a helpless victim of circumstances. No, he was fully in control of the whole matter. He permitted himself to be arrested and to be put to death and to be crucified. He gave himself voluntarily to be sacrificed. He gave his life, you see. He laid down his life for the sheep, as he had said already earlier. And such determination on his part tells us that Jesus is a most willing Savior, full of love for sinners like you and me. Now, does this not say something to you and me? Does this not attract him to us and you to him? Does this not motivate you to go to him? And to entrust your whole self to him. And to believe in him. He said of himself that he, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And there are people, that includes you and me. The lost. That's what we were by nature. Because by nature, you see, that is what we are. We have lost our way. To God. We've lost our communion with God by nature. And let us never trivialize this. This is what our fall into sin has done through the delusion and through the deception of Satan. We should all therefore be ready and willing to admit this and confess this as well. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. 
And he has also come to meet you and me on your path of life, even this day. Not one of us can say, hearing this message, that he hasn't come to approach you by his word. He is busy, even at this very moment, dear people, meeting with you, approaching you with his word, and say, come to me, come to me. In our text, Jesus has termed himself in a peculiar way, not as the Son of God, and that he is, but he has determined to call himself the Son of Man. Why? Well, it is so that he wants to be closely related to and be identified with people like you and me, mankind. He meets us on our path of life as the Son of Man, reachable, approachable, sympathetic, compassionate, and what else? But how have you and I responded to him? Has there been that desire to to know more of him and to believe more strongly in him? Has there been that admiration in you for how determined he was to obey his father's will? Has there been that growing appreciation in you for the Savior's determination to face all the horrors of crucifixion and become the sacrifice for your and my sin? Surely our text words, spoken by Jesus himself, should not leave any of us cold or indifferent or unimpressed. It should sound as gospel in our ears that there was determination with Jesus the Savior as he was on his way to the cross. Determination. Far more determination than Satan could muster or that Judas Iscariot could possibly employ. Therefore, let us, as it were, refocus our attention upon Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and his sacrificial work as it was determined and be thoroughly be impressed by it. Did it go through? Yes, definitely, it went through. No amount of scheming on Satan's part could short-circuit it. No amount of betraying on Judas's part could change it or alter it. The determination on the Lord Jesus' part was strong and it was maintained. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, went to the cross and he made the required sacrifice. And what a great and wonderful Savior he is for this, dear people. And now all who look to him by faith for salvation from sin, even for their secret sins, will be saved will be saved. There will be no woe pronounced over you anymore. As you place your trust in this great and powerful Savior, instead, you will hear something that will be a blessed news to your ears that comes from His blessed lips. Come, blessed of my Father, 
enter into the kingdom prepared for you. Will Jesus the Savior be able to say this someday 